You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Welcome to the World Football Programme, Saturday morning, June the 26th. 26th, yeah. It's a full day of football today. There's already kids running around doing their cup thing everywhere around Perth. Yeah. So, game started at 8 o'clock, Saturday games, and then Sunday games for some. Absolutely. It's going to be a full weekend for kids and their parents. And happy footballing. Yes, and there's Euros and there's normal league fixtures. There's just a lot as usual, Dave. Yep, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What's your plan for the weekend? You started off being on the radio. You're going to watch a few games? <coughs> yeah, well, I, <laughs> I was at, uh, up at Lenshira this morning and did a, a, a small stint for the press. Uh, the youngest player at Melville, and, uh, well, who, who, wrong word, Modern <laughs> 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 Melville. <laughs> And the oldest, so it seems that I'm the oldest participating person at up at uh, uh, within the club. So yeah, and, uh, and young, you know what, it's young pretty, Rowan. It's pretty great to have you around too, and see that we have a complete span from when you can walk and you can play football to like when you, whenever you want to stop playing football or not. There's just players there around the club that yeah. can just wear the hoodie and say good job and. Come along, son, or come along, young lady, and just be there. It's great to see you there, Dave. Absolutely, yeah. And I walked up there this morning, and uh, some woman was looking for the for the toilet, so I said, oh, they're around the back there. And uh, since she came back to me and said, oh, they're all locked, and I thought, good grief, I just come up here on Saturday morning, and I'm <laughs> well, starting official, working again. You were looking official, Dave. <laughs> so this morning you've got myself, Kenny Tannehoth, <clears throat> and Dave Kindness, who's the former president of Mum FC, Melville, Football club and life member of Melville Football Club and Football West and as well. Football West, yeah, yeah. to mention mm. that one too. So, uh, thanks for joining us this morning, Dave. Thank you very much for inviting me. Chat football. We've got a, a good lineup of guests this morning. We'll have a chat to Nick Tarner, former Perth Glory owner, about the new Football Futures Foundation that launched on Monday night. We'll have a chat to Simon Hicks, referee coordinator at Football West, about referee programs 
and uh, any rules that we should be aware of, uh, culture of football around the pitch, um, how we treat our referees, how we can support them and what programs are encouraging young referees to be involved and stay involved. We'll have a chat to Tommy Dolman and you would have heard Tommy if you've watched any of the live streaming or been down to the matches and you've got something plugged into your ear. Tommy does uh, a lot of match reporting with Football West in the NPL and NPLWA space. And Aaron Trevathan, who is a host on the Football Tragic podcast, will have a chat. With everything else we haven't talked about to that point, the A-League final happening tomorrow, the Oliroo Socceroos, Matildas, and a little bit of Euro 2020, just for Ian <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Thank you for listening in. Dave, what's been your highlight of the week? How's Scotland going in the Euros for you? Um, well... We, we did have a highlight uh, against the English, which was pretty good. You uh, said that like it was just a little highlight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I'm glad to see Scotland playing some decent football, actually. It looks good to see, I think, Steve... Um, can't remember his last name. Uh, old age doesn't come by itself, but uh, they're looking a bit better organised than, than they've been in, in, the, over, in the past few years. And, Agreed. Uh, yeah, looking a bit better. But we still only had scored one goal and... Uh, you know the not enough. We need to we need to improve in that. Uh, everybody's writing Croatia off, and uh, he up steps a a thirty three year old and bangs a ball in the back of the net without setting his foot. You know, At, uh, just about a skill. But, uh, yep. No, the, the games have been good. The games have been great. Yeah. I've really enjoyed the action. I don't particularly follow any team. I've watched all of the games, mm. and um, well, I, I'm actually quite. Tired and yeah, then highlight packages and goals scored and everything. It's um, it, it's a good uh, festival of football. I'm yeah. really enjoying the different styles of football. Yeah, some great plays and the passing accuracy from some of the players and the three balls is just bloody incredible. Mm. I wish I could get some little uh, instructional videos together of some of the players and how they just do the passing combinations and then put the balls through. I thought you know for my girls, 16s at Mum FC, yeah, yeah. I've been trying to teach them three yeah. balls and. Some of the players, Mbappe and Pogba, can play mm. some amazing balls. Yeah, and and very tight situations. And <laughs> that comes from small set of games and uh, playing in, in tight areas. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. But it also comes from being an amazing, talented footballer, <laughs> and that's why they get paid crazy amounts. Yes, that's yeah, exactly correct. Um, so, who are you following now? Um. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it doesn't matter. I'm following Wales, but I've got to admit, I would like to see just how England perform, and I'd love to. I'm certainly going to be watching the England Germany game because that's going to be that's going to be a ripper, as they say in Australia. Yep, uh, I think they're all great games. Mm. Um, I'm <clears throat> really liking the contrasting styles um, on the same pitch, and yeah, just uh, for me, it's. If a, if a kid was watching the football, I like some of the, the like, I watch Portugal and I, I love their style of play. Ronaldo is looking very cocky and confident as usual. <laughs> they're, they're looking like Christmas trees when they wear their, you know, green and red. And you know, there's, there's a lot to, you know, get a big football screen and get down to a place with your mates and you're having a drink and 
that's tea or coffee, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. um, there's games the next day. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to watch out for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a, a lot to um, want to be watching, that's for sure. Look, uh, we do have a lot of football to talk about uh, today, and our first guest up is Nick Turner. We are going to go to a break and come back and chat more football. A big thank you to all of our partners and sponsors for the show, Futsal WA, Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron Gate and Fence Hardware, and everybody who becomes a member of... Radio Fremantle, we do appreciate that. It's, a, it's about 30 bucks to become a member and that just goes right into the kitty and helps the station keep going with all the volunteer teams and hosts that put all of the programs that you like to air. So thank you everybody for that. This is Penn and Dave on the World Football Program. We'll be back pretty shortly. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. G'day, I'm Peter Skeeler, the man behind A-LeagueStats.com and part of the World Football Team for 2021. Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannehoth, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best and Junior Matilda's goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. Catch the show on live stream or via our new website, listen in later on the podcast or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Welcome back to the World Football Program 107.9 FM, Radio Fremantle. Volunteers, doing it because we love it. You've got Penn and Dave in the studio and Nick Tarner, former Perth Glory owner and now chair of the Football Futures Foundation, joins us. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Penny. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on the show. We were both at the launch. Well, actually, we were all three of us at the launch on Monday night uh, via Football West at the museum in Perth. Um, which was pretty awesome, I've got to say, standing under that huge whale that I haven't seen for many, many decades. They've uh, re-put it together and put it up above where we had our meeting and launch, and that was spectacular. Yeah, I was trying to stay away from being underneath it. (laughs) So that was a a nice venue for us to um, meet some pretty significant people and yourself there, and Tony Booty was there, the uh, chair of Football West, Sheriff uh, Andreas was there, and it's all about a new charity that's um, been launched. Nick, tell us a little bit about it and share it with our listeners. And look, the, um, the Futures Foundation was a, uh, I suppose it's spawned out of the Football West. You've got to give uh, Sharif and his uh, directors of the full board and all the crew at Football West credit for, um, for the brainchild, for want of a better word. Uh, I think it's an initiative that's been long, long overdue. 
And I think in terms of what it is prepared to do uh, going forward, I think will uh, will lead to a much more uh, better community and indeed a better state of Western Australia. So for those of us unknowing, tell us exactly what the foundation is going to give to the football community or give to the community in general. Yeah, I think that's it's more it's more general than just the football community, right? And so, in the community in general, the the basic structure of it is such that we believe that every person that's out there that has a disadvantage of whatever sort, whether it be social, whether it be physical, whether it be mental, whether it be educational, whether it be financial, um, whether it be cultural, we believe that this foundation, the way we're going to structure it, and the way we're going to go out in the community. We'll reach out to all those people and make them inclusive and, and feel that they're part of the community and in so doing, um, encapsulating a social change, we believe. Is there a delineation between Football West and the charity or are they one and the same? Oh, no, definitely there is a delineation. That, that, let's not mis- um, uh, confuse what Football West's role is. Football West, as much as it does, uh, it has attempted to do uh, what the foundation is, is structured for. Um, its main priority is the development of the game of football in Western Australia and by virtue of the clubs, by virtue of uh, the professionals, etc. The foundation is purely charitable. It is purely to drive social change by engaging communities, by delivering a service and an opportunity to many out there. That And and we're talking tens of thousands. We're not just talking a dozen, two dozen, that sort of thing. We are talking many, many thousands of individuals out there who are disadvantaged in some way or another and have no have no uh, ability or means to uh, get to where they want to get to. Hopefully uh, the foundation, the Futures Foundation, will make that difference. Football West have done some great work in the last couple of years, uh, particularly in the last 18 months, I feel, in diversifying their programs to reach out to some of those communities that you've identified there, um, uh, different cultural backgrounds, uh, ethnic football and carnivals. In fact, I think it's uh, just finishing... Refugee Week this week, and there's a carnival up at Marangaroo today, yes. between 11 and 3. That's the African Community Seven Aside Carnival. So I'm pretty sure this weekend concludes the Refugee Week. So Football West have really done some great work in engaging those parts of the community. And it might be a little bit of a different space now because COVID has stopped so many people coming in to Perth and, and indeed into Australia. But they have, have worked really hard to engage those people coming into the community be, to become involved in the football community. How does that differentiate from what the charity is going to be doing? The charity is going to reach out to a significant uh, greater number of people that basically there are others that are not being in, uh, being involved and hopefully we can reach out through them through clubs and indeed through Football West with all their membership base. Um, the the charity, the foundation is is more specific than what Football West is doing. And don't get me wrong, Football West have done a magnificent job, and it's their initiatives that brought this on. And they now believe that it, the time is right to segregate the the, the area of of what the foundation is going to be doing to what they are doing, and they will continue to. Uh, with programs, but we'll be a little bit more specific and a little bit more targeted in areas that they basically have not been able to get around to get to. 
Yeah, I feel that's a really important point. I mean, the money that we pay when we become a member of football is to administrate the game, so to run the competitions, employ the referees and so forth. So diversifying the programs is a, a very big task. Uh, there's lots of spaces out in the community. I mean, Dave and I were talking about walking football earlier. Um, Five-a-side football has grown into a massive part of the football community, um, ethnic football carnivals and uh, Paralympic football. All these kind of spaces are now becoming part of what we say as football. It's not just about the Lebanon-a-side, it's about all the other spaces as well. So it's good that Football West have started the ball rolling and it sounds like the charity are going to now move into that space and make it uh, an even bigger and better part of the community. Well, hopefully not having the uh, the, uh, the day-to-day pressures that Football West have yes. got, we can focus on as far north as Wyndham, as far south as Albany, all the way to Kalgoorlie and back to Perth, and basically let Football West do what they need to do, and that is develop the game. And as I said, don't take anything away from what they've done. They've done a fantastic job, but I believe a credit to them for seeing that now they can focus through this foundation on areas that uh, that need 100% attention, uh, rather than as a as a product of what they do in the general football community. Yeah. So tell us who is going to administrate or manage the foundation. Well, at this point in time, we're out there looking for an executive officer, and hopefully uh, that person will come on board very shortly. The moment that person is on board, then obviously there will be there will be a staff involved, but uh, there will also be a significant amount of volunteers because, as you know, Penny, Dave, the, 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 all sports rely on the lifeblood of what they're about, and that there is the volunteers. So we'll be recruiting volunteers to assist us in delivering the services and the programs that we design. How do you foresee uh, a program running? Give us, give out, give us and our listeners uh, an example of how it would start and how it would run in the community. Well, I suppose if we're talking um, uh, remote, uh, obviously we have to ascertain how we can reach the uh, the uh, participants that we are we believe uh, would like to be involved. If we're talking metropolitan area, it's a lot easier because we've got uh, we've got areas through clubs and through uh, through memberships that are already existing, through the health system that will assist us in in uh, targeting areas that they or the people that basically um, would otherwise not be involved in any sport of any kind out in the suburbs. Um, and the idea then would be, just to give you uh, an example, we'll go to, let's say, a, an area that's got a significant uh, netball facility that doesn't get used on a Sunday afternoon, let's say. Um, then we will call on and uh, on as many people as we can to basically come out and see just how we can deliver, whether it be um, uh, street football, whether it be walking football, whether it be wheelchair football, whether it be any form of um, of movement that involves the round ball. Uh, Nick, uh, just a question here on uh, the government participation. Um, I mean, uh, Dr Tony Booty was there on Monday night, so I've no doubt you've been uh, chatting to them. We've, we've had direct contacts with the department, uh, and Tony is obviously a supporter, as you as you um, pointed out on the night. He was extremely um, uh, helpful and 
and he, he he didn't make the commitment, uh, nor did we ask him for a commitment yet. But we will be door knocking very shortly. Uh, he has invited us in. He says, please call on us, organise it, and, we'll, and let's talk about it. Um, I believe they will play a significant role because if you look at the um, the burden that uh, different uh, issues place on 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 the revenues of the government, uh, we believe we can make a difference. And this is all about making a difference, getting people basically more involved, getting people with better self-esteem, getting with leadership programs, um, and, and obviously health and fitness. We're not about trying to replace what gymnasiums have to do. We're not about trying to replace what clubs have to do. This is about getting a, sec- a sector of the community that basically can now... Uh, look forward to one to 22 programs. We haven't quite figured out exactly all the detail. There's a lot of detail to be worked through now, but the people out there can look forward to being involved in some form of activity. I think that's really important and significant what you're saying there. And being involved with the Hall of Fame Western Australia, uh, we're also reviewing grants and funding that is available to um, our organisation and how we can advance uh, particular aims that we have and clubs are doing the same thing. There's a lot of grants becoming available now and maybe it's to to do with the Women's World Cup landing in Australia. We want all the infrastructure and the participation and connections in the community to be spot on. Um, But a lot of the theme from that is about um, how do we maintain the numbers, how do we grow the numbers in in the sport and in the community and of course the knock on from that is that there's Uh, more healthy people. There's more kids connected to each other. There's more people out there enjoying a healthier lifestyle, which you're right, it reduces the costs on the whole community and the government. So um, when we're talking about these programs in the charity and what Football West are doing and what the clubs are applying for, it's all about how do we engage people into our sport because they love the sport, but then connect it with the community and how it can be maintained by those programs. That's the important part, isn't it, Nick, that they get involved with whatever the charity is trying to do, but that they can maintain it. So we don't just give them a whole heap of soccer balls and then they get flat and then they can't do anything more. Yeah. How do we then you know, sustain that program for the future and have them love the game like what you clearly do? And Penny, exactly right. Uh, we have to be creative in our thinking. We have to make it, uh, make the program such that they are inclusive, they are interesting, and they've got life, basically. Um, they just don't drop after one, one or two um, sessions, and then, as you said, the ball goes flat or the person's um, um, uh, will and desire goes flat as well. We've got to keep them, people motivated. We've got to be motivated, and we will be. Um, to ensure that basically the programs that we will deliver are such that the the general uh, community, as as well as the individuals we're targeting, and bearing in mind that this is just not about the individuals, this is about the general community, uh, looking and saying, well, this, this foundation is making a difference. And that is incumbent upon us now, and indeed Football West with all the, all, the, all the facilities and the personnel, it's incumbent upon us to deliver that, to make that difference. If, if we're just going to go out there and become another organisation just to organise a few little get-togethers and what have you, that's not the name of the game. The name of the game here is to ensure that we can basically engage the communities and, and drive the social change that we're looking for. Nick, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there in 
local WA football land that have wondered why you've come back at this particular time into football and what's been, what's held your interest or connection with the football community since leaving the Perth Glory fold and now? One of the main reasons is obviously um, the value and the importance of what the F- Football Futures Foundation is about has, uh, has absolutely excited me. But put that aside just for one second. And, and the, the key issue right here with this foundation is that we're not looking to identify talent. We're not looking to develop players. We are basically out there to make a, a, a social change. We want to make a difference. And that, uh, how can you refuse an offer to go into a position to do that, Penny? Tell me. Uh, you just can't. The offer was such that I, I had to accept. And I would not do it for commercial reasons. Like, I've had many opportunities in terms of getting involved in the game somehow or another. Um, but I've, I've stayed away and refused. And I've also refused to make comment over the last 10, 15 years. But in this instance here, I think there is an absolute need and an urgency to develop the Football Futures Foundation to drive this social change to make a difference. It's good to hear, Nick. And on Monday night, I think we could all clearly see the excitement and passion in your face for this this opportunity. So thanks for coming back and being in, involved in that charity because it's clear it's a good symbiosis. So I, I do have a, a question, though. Football family, like... Kids and grandkids and whatever. Do you have kids out there in the football community? Do you go and watch games? Uh, tomorrow morning I'll be watching an under nines. Um, uh, this morning at 11 o'clock I'll be watching an under 18. Um, uh, my daughter is out there. My son is involved in a club. And my other youngest son is a coach. So uh, um, I think I qualify to say, yes, the family is still involved. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> Penny, as you know, uh, round ball runs through the veins. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It does. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. I do appreciate your time today, and uh, I hope that we can have a chat to you again once. We've kind of got a little further into the charity, and there's some more infrastructure and some programs that we can share with the community. Let, let us get some uh, some runs on the board and uh, keep, keep in touch. Eh? Watch this space. Good on you, Nick, and enjoy your weekend of football. Thanks, Penny. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nick. Bye, Bye Nick. That was Nick Tana, the chair of the Football Futures Foundation, and I think his passion clearly came across there in yeah, that conversation. Absolutely, yeah. So he's waited a long time for the right idea to land to get him involved again. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And uh, it just you know, it's going to take time to build up, but the government's involved, and yep. uh, Tony Booty is a football man, uh, local um, rep for the the government you know yep. and uh, hopefully he will you know help push it along from the government side I think that one of the things that I I hear from the Football Federation in Australia sorry the FA now uh, when we've talked to Sarah Walsh so she's a former Matilda W League player and is now working in the the le- legacy area of Football Australia um out of the Women's World Cup, what they hope to achieve in Australia is that there are programs set up that can allow anybody that's involved or is passionate about the growth of the game to be involved. And it might be leadership, coaching, mentoring, uh, playing, walking football, 
um, the Matildas players themselves and what they might do after they finish playing or the W League players and their opportunities. So having a legacy, so an infrastructure in the total community that allows you to be involved to some extent, whatever extent that may be, and to help you, the FA or the football community, to help facilitate that. And they call that legacy, and I really like that idea. Mm. It's um, it's like this charity foundation. It's okay. We've got all the underpinning competitions and programs, et cetera, now. Now what can we do to build a legacy and engage the community more? I yeah. like that idea. Yeah. Mm. We are going to go to a break and come back and chat more football, of course. There is always more. This is Penn and Dave on the World Football Program. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. I'm Miranda Templeman, goalkeeper for the Junior Matildas. Join me and local women's football expert Penny Tanahoe as we share our news and journey through the football calendar with the best guests from your local community and all across Australia. You're listening to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. For football's sake. For the sake of our registered players. There's 37,000 of them. For the sake of the game. For the sake of the dozens of high achievers who are already flying the WA flag in the world's best football leagues. For the sake of our visitors from Asia and beyond whose cultures are woven through football. For the sake of Perth Glory, the state's A-League team which aims to inspire the next generation. For the sake of the mums and the dads, the fans, the followers and the football faithful who are steeped in the most popular sport on the planet. Football needs a home. Football deserves a home. Every family needs a home. For football's sake. can't hide their passion. Don't hide yours. Join our team. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware, WA. Station sponsor. Welcome back to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. Dave and Penn in the studio with you. And there's so much football happening all over the weekend. We are bound not to cover absolutely everything in the two hours that will be here, but we'll endeavour to do it in some fashion. Go to footballwest.com.au or the Football West Facebook page and catch all the links to live streaming, the competitions that are happening uh, around Perth, uh, or contact your club. Hopefully they've got a good website or a Facebook page and they've promoted everything that's happening at the club or where the teams are going to be this weekend for you, the members, and the community to be involved in. And today is the perfect day because there is no wet weather. Tomorrow I think it's going to land if you're playing Sunday football. Take your umbrellas and your woolies and your change of clothes in the back seat. 
if you're a parent because the kids are bound to forget it. <laughs> I know my kid always forgets it besides the fact I wake her up early and say, it's going to be a wet one today. Make sure you've got your towel and all your spare clothes. And after the game, I go, where's your towel and your spare clothes? And she goes, uh. And I'm like, ah, flip a neck, child. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, Simon Hicks. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Benny, and uh, hello to Dave as well, and thanks for having me on on a, a massive weekend for football in Perth. It is a massive weekend for football in Perth, and I did uh, forget to mention too that the Club Nightlights program is up and running at the moment, which closes the 30th of September, so if your club or organisation is looking to increase participation um, and is not for profit, which is most of our soccer clubs here or mm. football clubs here, the state government grants are, are up and running so you can hop onto the World Football Program page or I think Football West have got it on their page as well. That's the Club Nightlights Program for increasing uh, lighting to increase participation in your club or sport. Um, there's been also the sporting... Is it the community sporting clubs or the Football West have a sporting clubs grant that I think is closing on Monday as well? So um, if you haven't already got that underway, you should probably do something really fast about that one. But that one yeah. comes out regularly. So, it does. Yeah. Um, that's my community announcements done for the moment. <laughs> uh, back to Simon, and thanks for joining us on the show today, Simon. There's, there's always lots happening in football, and it always is... Uh, something that we need to talk about with referees and uh, how we can support them, what's happening, how we can get more into the game and make sure we've uh, got all the games covered. Do we have all the games covered ever, Simon? Oh, look, I mean, it's hard. We, we actually did our KPIs just this week and we're, we're sitting at 86% uh, coverage across all our competitions. That's from uh, 13s all the way up to our um, NPL men's and women's comps. Uh, so 86%, um, obviously there's, there's room for improvement and we're working really, really hard. Um, we've got two courses this weekend. Um, we're uh, recruiting lots of new referees, so hopefully we'll see that number climb. Um, but as always, we're, we're desperately trying to catch up with the rate at which our game is growing uh, to try and match that with the growth of our referees. So 86%, that means that there'll be 14% of games not covered in each weekend. That's correct. Um, and obviously we're aware of the, the burden that puts on a, a club volunteer or whether it be a parent or um, you know maybe even a, a coach having to, to referee the game in, in the absence of an official referee, um, which is why we're looking at the moment to work really, really closely with our club um, because this is a whole-of-game problem. It's not, a, it's not a refereeing problem, it's a whole-of-game problem. Yep. Um, try and recruit more people and, and promote refereeing as, a, as an attractive, not an alternative, um, but an attractive pathway because lots of people combine playing, coaching with their refereeing. So it's not, certainly not an alternative to playing and coaching. It can be done um, as both, and that's what we're trying to promote. Yeah, and I can think of several uh, examples from my club, which is Mum FC, where we've got uh, young ones, uh, females particularly, who coach in the junior space and play themselves. And they're quite young, the, the teenage, the, the two young girls that I can think of, which is great, and um, they're learning. So they... they um, referee on a Sunday morning and then they go and play their games and actually one of them has given up playing so that they can referee, which is pretty amazing. Yep. So uh, how do clubs know or how do teams know if they won't have a referee? Is there some login that they can find to say, we don't have a referee this week, we've got to reach into our club or find someone to fill that space? Yeah, so um, with, uh, with 
Sports TG or our online team sheet. So all the clubs will obviously enter their, their teams online. Um, and down the bottom there um, in, in the match centre, um, which is public-facing as well. You don't have to have a login or anything. You can just log on to the match centre uh, through the Football West Pictures uh, website um, and you'll be able to see the names uh, of the appointed match officials down the bottom. Okay, um, so no so name, no match official. Live. Correct, and that that's live. Um, so if we appoint someone an hour before the game, then that name will appear. Um, and that sometimes happens if we're sort of scrambling around at the last minute to find a referee for a particular match. Um, so, yeah, just keep checking that match centre in Sports DG. Um, and, yeah, hopefully uh, we can get you someone. It must be an absolute nightmare for you when fixtures change so much and the reallocation of referees. So I'm I'm guessing that you have a referee that will do several games in a day, which is probably pre- pretty typical, and then a fixture time changes and then that referee then can't have that pattern of the games for the day. And, and on that, why are fixtures changing so much? I've never known game times to change so much as this year, Simon. Yeah, look, it really, really hurts us with, with referee coverage when that happens. And I, I can't take any credit for this. This is all done by our referee support officer, Dave Davison, who, who looks after all our Sunday appointments. And I know he says there are every week with fixtures changing all over the place. I think it's sort of twofold. It doesn't just affect our referees, you know, because as you correctly say, someone could be on two games, um, you know, one o'clock and a three o'clock, and all of a sudden they're both kicked off at one o'clock. So the referee has to come off one of them. Um, but also, um, given that a lot of our referees play, they try and arrange a refereeing match around their playing commitment, and then one of those games changes, which means they can no longer referee the game because they're playing at this time. So fixture changes um, affect us. Um, and affect referee coverage. Um, but, I mean, there, I'm sure there are plenty of valid reasons with the, the season we've had, having to reschedule matches all over the place because of the, the brief lockdown we had. Um, so we, we understand pictures have to change, um, but it does have an effect um, hey, on referee coverage. Just for our listeners out there, if you've got any questions for Simon or the team in the studio, Penn and Dave, we've got a text number for you, which is 0408 Nine two one eight three two. So text us any questions that you might have for our guests or listeners through the show. And we've got Simon Hicks, referee coordinator for Football West, on the line at the moment. So Simon, the match, the electronic match sheet system. How is that working? And is is that one of the reasons why fixtures can change? Because you can put your numbers or information into that right up until game time. Does that mean that teams can change their game time? Is it the, the each individual team that's doing that, or is it Football West that does that game change times? Uh, look, fixtures um, fixtures change. Obviously, there's a there's a cutoff by which point that the home club can, can decide to move things around. After so after that cutoff, obviously both clubs will need to agree. Um, but often these changes change due to pitch clashes and things. I know lots of clubs have a, a huge number of fixtures on their home grounds on a particular weekend, and they have to balance all that with their volunteers. So we understand that. Um, but yeah, from a refereeing appointment. Uh, perspective, it, it's really hard for us when we have, say, two games on at one venue in a day, and they're both kicking off at the same time, side by side. And so that that just means we need double the resources at that venue. Instead of having a one o'clock and a three o'clock, where we can have one referee, we have two one o'clock kickoffs, so we have to have two referees there. So yep. um, those are little ways, and I understand there's an enormous number of considerations for, for clubs in this regard, but um, where possible, that those are the sort of things that help, um, help us with coverage, um, and means we can utilise you know, that person elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And there's things like last week, we had that deluge on Sunday 
And I know that at uh, Melville, our club closed pitches until Wednesday. So there was no training and um, yeah, things got shifted around so that uh, Duck City at Len Shearer, um, which is pretty typical at about this time of year, unfortunately, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, meant that there was a whole lot of games that uh, were just changed. And that was right across Perth, I suspect. So yeah. there was games postponed and I don't know if they forfeit them with weather and don't play them again. I guess it's kind of... Well, they do, do try and play catch-up games if they can, but uh, that's, again... But trying to get facilities with lights is another major problem. Yeah, yeah, and it's an it's interesting one today, Simon, with all the cup fixtures today on Saturday and then having to play a league game tomorrow on yeah. Sunday. That's yeah. a big ask from some of the clubs and teams. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And referees as well, who might be, you know, refereeing. I mean, lots of referees refereeing two games on a Saturday two games on a Sunday, you know, this is a, you know, with the, the junior cup round as well. Yep. Um, obviously that's a big, uh, a big um, lot of resources required for, for the referees to, to cover all these pictures when we're doubling up Saturday and Sunday. Yep. And I, I like what we were talking about before, Simon, we talked about the, the culture at a club and how we can encourage and support the referees. And you said that having more referee courses and programs that are club based helps. Tell us about that. Absolutely. I mean, I recently I, I wrote to all the all our clubs in, in the metro area to, to um, push this idea. And, and this morning um, we're out at, at Calamundi United and uh, delivering a level four course there. They were uh, first on board um, to lock us in, um, and they've got you know people within their club because often um, Calamundi United, given their location, might struggle to, to get referees on their matches. Um, but now they've got referees within their club, um, that, you know, official qualified football West referees that we can appoint. Um, to their matches, and then that's how um, that's how I see um, this problem of, of referee coverage being sorted. If your club is struggling to get referees, whether it's due to location or, or any other factor, having qualified referees within your club is a great asset for that particular club. And I know Murdoch uh, University Melbourne have lots of referees. There are lots of other clubs as well um, that have referees within their membership, um, and that's definitely a benefit for them. Yeah, yeah I think it probably develops a good relationship and a, a confidence in the referees, especially the young referees, that um, people are supporting them. They know that the people, so that, that hopefully they're less likely want to give them any jip or disrespect. Um, you know, we talk about respect as um, a motto of becoming a referee and how to treat a referee and, and the whole environment of playing football is about respect. I think that was a FIFA slogan quite a few yeah. years back. Yeah. I don't know how that's going, how that worked out for them. Well, I think they still actually wear the badge, yep. uh, respect. But, you know, um, I'm so sure Simon's very aware of the situations within games on a Saturday or a Sunday, the uh, abuse that some of the referees take. And it's really, um, I guess, down to the clubs to try and change that. And obviously you guys are trying to infiltrate clubs and educate them because that's really what it's about, it's education. What I find, you know, I watch all different shapes and forms of football and uh, the, the, you know, South Division 4 and 5 uh, and WNPL uh, ladies. It's the abuse that uh, people hand out, either whether it's parents that's doing the abusing or the coaches. And, uh, look, every club's at it. But it, it really is, uh, it's down to the culture of the club, I think, that... that needs to be changed and it's, I'm glad to hear that you guys are trying to 
as I said, infiltrate the clubs <laughs> and try and change their minds about it. And uh, well done, Kalamunda. And I know that we try and do our bit as well, but I think it maybe needs to be expanded, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we talk about, um, you know, recruiting referees. I mean, yeah, we get a, a minority of, of people who have sort of no playing or coaching background that want to come into to refereeing, and that, that's great. We, we welcome them. Um, but the huge majority of people that we're trying to recruit into refereeing are already in the sport in some capacity. And if they're already in the sport, well, they're already in a club, whether they're a parent, a player, or a coach. Um, that's how we're trying to target them, um, because these people are not going to come from, in general, outside of the sport. They're already here. We just yes. need to try and make refereeing an attractive pathway for them. Um, and, you know, you spoke about, um, you know, the respect side of it. Um, you know, all the referees obviously have respect on their on their shirt. Um, and, you know, this weekend, um, I hope, you'll um, if you look at the, the live stream footage for our NPL um, men's, women's, and some of our state league games, you should see some uh, referee recruitment advertising as well as some referee respect advertising as well um, to try and push that, that message out. Um, so respect, yeah, is a big part of it. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of clubs do the right thing with regard to making referees feel welcome and and respected. And I think it's it's more about um, recognising the clubs are doing the right thing rather than just focusing on the clubs that are doing the wrong thing. Um, and you know potentially looking at benefits um, for the clubs that do um, call out bad behaviour and make referees feel welcome as part of the game. Yeah, you're right. When we say culture, culture is a really broad term. It's generally the way that people connect and engage and have something um, similar in in the community and football is you know what we all share here and it's actually really hard Simon to stand in front of another adult who is not saying or doing the right thing and is being disrespectful to someone else or yourself it's really hard to stand in front of that person at that moment when they are angry and say look that behavior is not appropriate. Yeah. It's either affecting the kids, yeah. um, or it's stopping the game, or it's just simply mean and unkind. And you, as a human, you shouldn't do it. That's that moment is really difficult when someone is has adrenaline and they are just totally involved in what they want to say. Yeah, and a hundred percent. And that's a, that's a real difficult thing to do. But it's even more difficult for the thirteen-year-old referee to have to do. Yes, and I think as a, as a and adult watching a game or coaching a game, I think everyone has a responsibility to say, this is not, uh, you know, people often look at the uniform and that, that's how we sort of cancel, if you like, um, young referees who have been through something and say, it's not personal, it's the uniform. Mm. And it's about seeing that person as an individual and as a member potentially of your club rather than just the uniform with a football S badge on it that you're shouting at. So, yeah, um, yeah that's an important part and I think everyone plays a role in it. Yeah, and look, you're spot on with that everyone plays a part and has a role in that and go back to the culture thing, that at the top part is that we see professional footballers and they yell and get close to the referee and even watching some of the Euro games, there's probably some great scenarios in there that we could talk about where there was there was a moment there where I think it, it, there was a penalty given and the referee started to run around the side of the players like as in anticipation he was going to cop it verbally <laughs> so he was like already trying to escape but he was listening in his ear and he was motioning with his hand and the players were just quite there was a goalkeeper and a, a attacking player and that had a little bit of a, a an impact 
and he needed to make sure that the player on the ground was okay, then he needed to listen to someone in his ear and he needed to make sure that no, was, no one was going to come into his space while he was making his decisions and taking on board the information, yeah. which is a lot. And this was on, like, international television. Mm. So, you know, kids and adults are, are watching this and then there's other situations where um, there's an offside called or there's a free kick called and then the referees... Uh, you know, some referees just stand their ground. I'm very impressed with yeah. those referees. They just yeah. stand their ground and they indicate with their hand while players come towards them and say what they think. It's not going to change anything, of course. No. But they come towards the referee and, like, almost do the chesty man thing and, like, into their space. And I think, how disrespectful. Just the decision's been made. Get out of it and get on with the game because we don't want to see that part. We want to see your scoring goals part. Yeah, exactly. I think that was the... Sorry, Joe, and then these referees at the you know at the Euros are obviously absolutely at the top of their, their game. These are um, some of the best referees in the world in these in these tournaments. Um, and you know when a referee is on a, a 13s or a 14s match, that that referee, is, um, if they're a new referee, they're learning the basics, and it's about you know you know when to use the whistle, when you know signals, where do I run, do I stand at three kicks and corner kicks and things like that. And they don't have the time often. To, to develop those more sophisticated skills like player management and you know that bit of common sense that facilitates that more entertaining picture because they're pushed out of the game unfortunately by the culture within you know certain uh, certain clubs and I think it is a sport thing you know our our sport has a bit of a cultural problem towards officials whereas some other sports have really good cultures with their officials which I wish we had in football um, but I think yeah, it's about recognising that these these referees need that time to develop because no player at 13 years of age has finished high school, um, and they've obviously start much younger than a, a referee who's up at 13. And it's about giving them that environment at junior level. So yeah, they're going to make mistakes and that they need to learn. But that's where they're going to learn the basics. And, and hopefully, by keeping them in the game, that by the time they develop and they've refereed juniors for a few years, they can start to work on those more sophisticated things that mean they can progress through the levels. That's right. And progressing through the levels takes time, confidence and motivation, support, a lot of things. Just like when you go through university and you need to pay your bills, you need your, probably your parents' place as a landing pad so that you can come back to it and you study all those years and put all that time in. Yep, we want all the conditions to be correct. Um, and I, I'd like to think that the two young ladies that are at our club, Dave, mm. who are teenagers and just starting the refereeing journey, will have all of those right things and all the right support structures so that they can continue the journey and yeah. not go, this is not really what I want after a year, and not come back. Yeah, well, you know, I've seen situations where uh, um, uh, people are refereeing a game and they're abused. And they're near to tears, and that is a shocking, shocking way to be yep. for people to conduct themselves. It, uh, it just, you know, shouldn't be allowed. But how do you, how do you manage that? And I think it's going back to the clubs again. It's really down to the clubs to educate their their people, and to somebody within the club to say, well, we need to manage this and uh, talk to the people who are doing the abusing, you know, because it is it just gets way out of hand. Yeah, I mean, I think at some level as well, I don't, I don't want to sound like it's all uh, sort of doom and gloom. I mean, obviously we have a small minority of people that um, that will, um, you know, go that, that, that too far. Um, but a lot of people are doing really, really good things out there and supporting our, our referees, which is great. Um, and we and look from our refereeing surveys that we conduct at the end of the year, we have seen an improvement. 
um, in those levels of respect. And, and just as one example, I just wanted to give a um, for just from the week just gone. I mean, we, we had a, a rearranged state league game on. Uh, I think it was Tuesday night um, down in Manda, and one of our officials suffered a, a medical incident, um, which he collapsed. Um, and I just want to say the the reaction from uh, the match officials, but also from the players uh, and both of both clubs and the physios was absolutely fantastic in, in following up with this um, with this official. Um, they all immediately ran to him and checked he was okay. And I think that that side of it is, is was really positive. They obviously were. I should clarify and yeah, the official is fine now. He's recovering at home, um, and, he, and we're very very grateful to hear that. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the reaction of, of the players there. And look, it might have had something to do with um, the Christian Eriksen incident from the Euros. Yeah. It's sort of front of mind at the moment. Um, you know, when people collapse and it's a time-sensitive issue, we have to get this sorted immediately. Um, but that that culture is something that's really, really good. Because that, that, they didn't see him as a referee there. They saw him as a human being and a, as a fellow participant in the sport. And that's, um, that's the sort of thing that we want to promote. So it's not all doom and gloom about abuse. Um, there are some really, really good examples every weekend of, of referees being seen as part of the football community, which is what we are. Yeah. So, Simon, how can we encourage the referees when we go to a football game and we know they're a young referee, they're standing in front of us, they come and they do the right thing, they introduce themselves to each team and they, some referees uh, have a little bit of a spiel about um, what you should keep in mind for the game. Others just say um, they're five minutes till kick-off, um, are you ready? Um, and then they go out there and they do their thing. Uh, and some referees are young and they, they're learning and they make mistakes and they might do a shocking job or they might do a very good job. How do we, what what can we do on the sideline to encourage them? I think a simple uh, smile and a thank you at the end of the game goes a really, really long way. Um, yeah. You know, often referees, um, when you go out there and you, you start playing, you're part of the team and there's that real supportive environment there. Um, whereas if you're going out to referee, I and mean, I started refereeing at 14, um, you know, it was just, you know, sort of get dropped off by mum or dad and, and you go out there and referee. Um, and so just a simple, you know, thanks for, your, thanks for the game today, ref, you know, and, and a smile can go a long way to making that person feel like they're not completely on their own out there. Um, they have that sort of network of support. And I think in terms of feedback, because, yeah, they're right. Um, if, if we have referees who, who need a bit of assistance, then we want to know about it. But a, instead of an adult who doesn't know the referee going up to the referee to try and tell them something, if you let us know through, you know, through your club, and, and we can deal with that uh, probably more effectively um, by, you know, coaching that referee um, in terms of providing feedback. Because the huge majority of feedback we get is negative, um, obviously, is, uh, in terms of complaints. But we do occasionally get, um, you know, referee was really, really good today. Um, but any any feedback we have, I think, if it comes through the club and to football West, that we can follow up rather than sort of putting that referee on the spot in a way that's going to be seen as criticism. Um, I think that's a, a positive way of, of coaching and influencing that referee. Yeah, yeah, good, good point. I think personally, uh, I always see in junior matches because I coach in the junior space is that the two teams line up after the match. They shake each other's hand or give an elbow bump or a fist bump or a high five. There's all kind of combinations these days, which is nice sportsmanship for each other. Give three cheers and then always give a cheer or multiple cheers for the referee and the linesman. That yeah. always happens in the girls' junior matches that I play against. So that is always good. So th- th- in terms of a thank you, Simon, there's always a thank you in that regard. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's great to hear. And that that's, uh, can go a long way. So that's, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's, it, it's good also to reiterate these sort of things, that uh, the respect and the sportsmanship, which seems to be disappearing 
um, we are playing a sport and we should be good good people taking part. Absolutely. Well, well especially in the, the kids' environment of football, then you, you're like a mum or a dad when you're coaching or managing the team. Yeah. You've got a whole group of kids that are learning. So they want to be looking at someone who's a good mentor so that whatever they're going to learn, and it might be the, the football skills and techniques or it might be how you behave. Yeah. So as an adult, how you behave to other like officials, referees, et cetera, there is how they'll look and then how, how they'll replicate. So if you're badly behaved as a coach or a manager, then the people underneath or around you are probably going to be pretty badly behaved as well yeah. at some point. We yeah. don't want that. Not at all. Simon, before we let you go, are there any uh, rule updates that we should know about? And also, I have a couple of questions. Glasses, wearing glasses on the pitch and also the sin bin rule that got introduced uh, for junior football. Has that been applied at all? Uh, yeah, so we, we do have uh, temporary dismissals or sin bins in all our junior competitions. Um, so that only applies to the cautionable offence of dissent by word or action. Um, so your normal yellow card for a reckless challenge or stopping and promising attack, that will be dealt with as normal. Um, it's only dissent is public disagreement um, with the referee's decision. Um, so if, it, if it's essentially arguing with the referee, those you know going a bit too far or the slamming the ball on the ground and the sarcastic clapping of the referee's decision, that sort of thing, um, and where a yellow card is issued for that, it will result in a sin bin or a temporary dismissal. Okay, Sar- that's interesting. Sarcastic clapping at the referee. I have never seen that in a girls' game. Uh, I have. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> that, uh, they seem to, never seem to do it, but a lot of the, the boys might do it if they see it uh, at Premier League level or at A-League level because, it, unfortunately, it's a, uh, this this and the imaginary sort of waving of the yellow card is a, is a common one as well. Yeah. But, the, but you're saying that sin bin rule only applies to junior football? Yeah, yeah, it's just in all it's on all our junior competitions, but not in seniors at this stage. Yeah, yeah sounds, I, like, sounds like you want it to be involved in the senior competitions too, Simon. <laughs> I have I have seen it in a in a junior match, but uh, there was no indication as where the person should go. Should he go to the club room and wait for two minutes and get called back, or however long it takes? Because the one I saw was the guy just stood b- b- beside the the coach, and he basically said he shouldn't be off here. He's, you did nothing wrong, sort of thing, you know, and that was the wrong... Yeah, so that they should be um, in the technical area or, or with the coach, um, just like a substitute, essentially, um, for that temporary dismissal period. Um, I think that the point about temporary dismissal is it's, it's supposed to be a positive thing. It's not supposed to... Um, the situation it's trying to avoid is where someone gets cautious for dissent, so they're wound up with the referee and they get a yellow card, and they continue playing and they're still wound up and they put in a challenge and they get sent off. It's supposed to avoid that. Yeah. It's supposed to say, okay, you're, you're upset with the referee's decision. You need to go out. You have that five minutes, ten minutes to calm down. It also influences the behaviour of your teammates because they're having to play with ten and they're saying, you know, let's leave the referee alone with hard enough as it is with ten. We don't yeah. want to lose another player. Um, and so it's supposed to be a positive influence on player behaviour. And look, the, the feedback we've had anecdotally has been that that's working. Um, so, yeah, it's in all our junior competitions at this stage. Yeah. There is one other thing, Simon, that... Uh, irks me slightly uh, as uh, in certain games uh, normally either state league or women's uh, NPL uh, well there's been maybe a bit of rough tackling going on and it's just sort of waved aside when to my mind if a yellow card was produced early on in the game uh, that would would settle it down would, would settle it down and I just feel I've seen a lot of games this season that could be doing with a bit of settling down and 
before they get too rough and then yeah. something bad happens. and then something yeah, nasty comes about, yeah. you know. So if you get a, a yellow card early on, you've put your team in jeopardy. So you will hopefully behave yourself. Uh, that's basically what I'm saying. What do you reckon about that, Simon? More yellow cards, Dave's saying. Settle some team behaviour down. Are you there, Simon? I think we might have lost Simon. Well, I think, that, I think that have, concluded the it? conversation with our referee <laughs> coordinator at Football West. Thank you for joining us, Simon. I really appreciate that. If anybody wants to call in um, over the next uh, 10 minutes or so and share their news or have anything to say about the conversation we've just had about uh, refereeing development or club culture, etc., feel free to ring the landline here, which is 94942100. That's local Perth time. Right here in real live time, nine four nine four two one double zero. Um, we didn't actually get an answer from him about the glasses. Now, I have noticed that in kids' games, yeah. they they wear the standard glasses mm. that like glass, not the safety. I think it's perspex, maybe, or just safety glass shaped yeah. with a wraparound kind of uh, <coughs> you know, feature that sits across your face and not out, so that if a ball hits it, it deflects. Whereas yeah. with the standard glasses, which are fairly flat. A ball will hit it and it could shatter the glass into your face. It's so dangerous. Yeah, I have uh, glasses that uh, I use that are a bit like the swimming glasses that uh, the Dutch fella Davids used. And uh, they've modernised them nowadays where you can... There's ear pockets that allow air to pass through. And when you're sweating, the the glass doesn't get uh, um, gummed up by or sort of steamed up. And uh, the only problem with them is that if you want to keep your eye on the ball, you've got to basically put your head down and look yep. directly at your Fast. feet. Because <laughs> there is a rim that uh, allows this airflow, uh, you know, to, to uh, stop this, and it makes it very difficult. You actually have to look yep. down at your feet. Of course, if you're a quality player like me, you just... <laughs> Move it around without looking. You can have a blindfold on and you still do it correctly. Is that what you're saying, Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So, uh, so the line did drop out there, but Simon did text in that super fast texting. Simon, I'm impressed. Um, glasses with rounded edges are, and secured to the head are permitted. Sharp corners are not permitted. Well, that makes sense, of course, because your standard glasses, like what you're wearing now, are flat across the front and they have a yep. sharp edge, so that like a 90 degree turn. So um, they wouldn't be secured to your head. And in fact. That's right. All the kids that I've seen wearing their normal glasses don't have the glasses actually secured to their head. They mm. just put it on like they're wearing them for reading. Yeah. Mm. But sometimes you, you can get elastic-type uh, deals. That oh, absolutely. You can fix and keep the glasses onto your head, but uh, standard specs is not allowed. No. It's got to be safety glass. Yep, absolutely. Or, or perfect. Yep, yep. Um, and I must admit, across the, the women's football space, I don't see anybody wearing glasses. So in, like, amateur mm. women's football or NPL women's football, no. I don't remember anyone wearing any kind of protective glasses at all. No. Most so it, people use uh, contact lenses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, they do. Uh, okay, so this is Penn and Dave talking football. We'll come back shortly and talk more football, of course. Thanks for listening in on the World Football Program. Stay tuned. Hi, my name's Eddie and I'm the referees manager at Football West. We're looking for new referees. 
So if you've got what it takes, come on, give it a go. I became a referee to support the game. Come on, give it a go. I became a referee because I enjoy both watching and playing the beautiful game. I became a referee to help build my confidence and to experience the game from a different perspective. I became a referee because I love the beautiful game and I want to make a bit of money. I became a referee to increase my involvement within the game. I became a referee to develop my teamwork and communication skills. I became a referee to go towards my skill for the Duke of Edinburgh. I became a referee to keep my fitness up and to maintain my involvement with youth football after coaching. I became a referee to make some money and have a good time. I became a referee because I wanted to learn how the calls were made. Come on, give it a go. Come on, you should give it a go. Give it a go. Give it a go. Come on, give it a go. Give it a go. Give it a go. Give it a go. Come on, give it a go. Come on, give it a go. Skies above, don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials, and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialize in color bond, aluminium, steel, and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au. That's A U S W E S T fencing dot com dot AU. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. Four great locations around Perth. We have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. 
So grab five mates and come down for a game today. Some people can't hide their passion. Don't hide yours. Join our team. Welcome back to the World Football Program on 107.9 FM Radio Fremantle. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Really appreciate that. And, of course, I am playing the West Coast Futsal advert, but they are now Futsal WA and uh, doing very nicely post-COVID when, uh, of course, a lot of indoor sporting and uh, general health uh, gyms kind of suffered really badly, but... um, Everything's coming into its own now in our wonderful environment that WA is providing. Thank you, government. Appreciate that. We're able to do what we love here in Western Australia on a beautiful day like today. Good morning, Tommy. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Tony. How are you? I'm absolutely super awesome. And uh, I did ask off air if uh, you you recovered from that little bit of a lurgy that was going around. Of course, you can't commentate if your voice is not there and you're not feeling the best. Uh, Same here. I've managed to avoid anything that's kept that would possibly keep me off air, fingers crossed, while other people around me have fallen to it, Tommy. <laughs> it, it's a beautiful day out there, Penny. So, it's uh, yeah, it's not, not a day to be stuck inside with a no. bug, that's for sure. And, and, yeah, with the weather that's coming tomorrow, I think I've, uh, I think I've dodged a bullet with the weather for commentating today. So looking forward to getting down to Florida, the glory of the men's this weekend. And, uh, yeah. and obviously there's some women's games I'm sure we'll have a talk about tomorrow and, and later today as well. Oh, my God, Florida yep. are doing so well this year, yeah. um, celebrating their 70 years, just like Inglewood are celebrating with their game on Sunday um, versus yep. Perth Soccer Club um, in the round 12 of the NPL. So two clubs are celebrating 70 years this year. Yeah. It's pretty huge. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's really important that we, we sort of acknowledge these, these milestones because at the end of the day, they're, they're community clubs and, and I, I don't want sort of sound like it's like um, patronising in any way, but it's a massive achievement for, for these clubs to be running for the amount of time that they have been, and, and obviously great families and, and, and great um, uh, members of the football community are obviously long associated with them, and it's, it's something that we have to really celebrate, in, in my opinion. So, so hopefully there's a good crowd down at, down at Inglewood tomorrow for the game with Perth, and um, I believe it's August when Floriot uh, celebrate their seven-year milestone. So, so hopefully, also there's some, some nice weather on that day, and, and and the fans go out in full force as well, and and we get some good football on the day to, to really celebrate it. Absolutely, uh, round twelve uh, brings us Inglewood and, and Perth Soccer Club Sunday, Armadale and ECU, Bayswater and Balcatta, Floriot, Perth Glory. Uh, Gwillup and Sorrento, Rockingham and Coburn all on today's fixes. I was listening to a podcast from, um, I think it was Simon Hill. I forget what he is. He's on so many podcasts these days since he left mm-hmm. Fox. I think it was called The Global Game. Yeah. And he had um, one of the Sydney FC players, he's, he's an offsider and does a really good job actually. Um, I think it was the captain of Sydney FC from a few years ago. And he was talking about the upcoming NPL WA round 12 fixtures and he couldn't say Coburn correctly he was saying Cockburn <laughs> and I was just oh just laughing myself <laughs> only us here in Perth can say it correctly Tommy <laughs> I, I'm, the funny thing is Penny I'm sure if we were talking about Victorian NPL well, <laughs> then we'd, we'd be butchering some names over there and uh, we'd be copping the heat on social media as well so it yeah. always works both ways and it's always quite humorous when it does happen 
Yeah, absolutely. And look, the table's looking uh, pretty healthy with, well, I should say, Florida are looking pretty healthy sitting on top of the NPL table at the moment with 32 points over ECU on 22, but uh, three teams sitting on 22, ECU, Sorrento and Perth Soccer Club. So Florida are just absolutely just charging mm. ahead this year. They're 10 points ahead. It's great. They're, they're absolutely brilliant, Penny. And the thing with, with Florida as well, uh, if you remember back to last season, they were the most team of the first phase of the competition. I think they were six points clear or seven points clear after those first 11 games. Obviously, it was a, a, a different format of the season given given the impact of COVID and everything like that. And um, They went into the second phase of the campaign and did look pretty well in that as well. They went to the final day in the title race and were just picked by ECU after losing to Coburn 2-1 at um, E&D Leiter Stadium. So they've arguably been the most consistent team for the past two years and they obviously won the top four cup um, last season as well in emphatic fashion with that 4-0 one at Perth at Dorian Gardens. So um, it's something that's been in the pipeline for quite some time. Um, that, that's Beasic has only lost five of his um, five of his almost 30 NPL uh, WA League games at, uh, at Florida. So he's done a brilliant job since he came in in the early part of the season for Ante Kovacevic who went to Western United as the general manager and I'm I'm not sure if Ante's back in the state at all, but yeah, the, the, the Floriot wheels keep on turning. They're they're looking really good for the league this season. It's theirs to lose, really. Um, they're obviously in a state cup final with with ECU June up in the middle of June, and they've got the FFA Cup round of thirty two to look forward to as well. So it's it's all it's all looking very bright for Athena at the moment. How does that work, round of thirty two? So our two WA teams have got as high as they can get in the fixtures. For this state, what does the round of 32 mean moving forward? Um, so basically the round of 32 um, go through their respective cup competitions via the state. So I, I can only really speak on the WA and obviously we had the semi-finals during the week. I got myself down to Florida and had a look at their game with Coburn on the Tuesday. They won by three goals to nil. Um, Rob Harding with two goals there and then ECU defeated Sorrento in the other semi-final by a goal to nil with Danny Hodgson getting the winner in that game and both of those teams as the State Cup finalists there's two places for WA teams in the FFA Cup National Round of 32 and, and they go into the draw which I believe is on I think I saw it the other day on, on one of the Twitter pages for the um, for Football Australia it might be on July 7. So that draw will be made, and, and obviously those two teams get to test themselves against either uh, fellow MPL clubs or possibly an A-League side. Yeah, exciting times to start saving their pennies, be a bit of travel involved. Yeah, mm. let's hope they can get the... the, the uh, do you know, the, whatever they're chosen to play against, if they can get to play the game, you know? And not be COVID-affected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that, yeah that's... I suppose that's the uh, I suppose that's the looming <coughs> cloud on the horizon that we have to consider going forward. But um, it shouldn't be taken away. I, I think it's one of those things we've just got to see how the situation evolves over the next couple of weeks. So I imagine the ties will be played um, probably in late July if the draws being made in, in early July. So um, this is how it evolves from there. But no, it's a, it's a really exciting time time for those two teams. As I touched on before, they've probably been the most um, two consistent teams. Uh, of the MPLWA men's competition in the past two years. So I, I think they're going to give whoever they get drawn against a very good shake-up, that's for sure. Um, Florida, obviously, a team that's super consistent. They're efficient. They defend really well. 
Um, and they're really well organised as well and well led by their captain, Dean Evans. And, and ECU have obviously got Kenny Lowe, who, who's a coach we're all familiar with, who needs no introduction. So uh, they're going to give whoever they get drawn out again a, a really good shake-up. It'll be just interesting to see what the players are interested in because I'm sure as local fans of football here in WA, we'd love to see a home game and we'd love to see an interstate team come over here and watch our, our boys perform on the, on the national stage. But um, I'm sure if you speak to some of the... <laughs> Some of the players, they'd be relishing an interstate trip, uh, obviously, COVID pending, of course. It's yeah. probably the safest place to come here in Perth. Well, exactly. You bring the team across here. Yep, yep. Reckon we can get a crowd out on whatever night they're going to have it, except if it's at the WA Stadium and we're 200 metres away. <laughs> I'd have to get out the binoculars. <laughs> um, Inglewood, have, of course, are hosting the State Cup on July 17, and that's for the men's and women's. So men's 18s from 10 o'clock and then reserves and then women's at 3 o'clock and the 5.30 fixture will be the men's uh, cup. So four games on that game, uh, sorry, four games on that day, which is a Saturday, July 17. There's um, an interesting assortment of fixtures this year and last year actually, Tommy, in terms of coming out of the... Uh, standard traditional kind of Saturday fixtures for uh, State League and NPL and then Sunday for women's NPL and amateur football and they've crossover to midweek fixtures, Friday night fixtures, Saturday fixtures and I, I think that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. It means that you can get out to watch more fixtures um, and it also um, allows like under lights games which I, I think is pretty fantastic. Yeah. It's pretty uh, rug up kind of weather in winter. Well it is, yeah. But um, it means that you know, of an evening you can get out and watch some fixtures, and then on Sunday you can you know, do whatever. It's just it means a whole weekend of football if you're a passionate football <laughs> uh, beast, though. That's for sure. So I'm, I'm liking it, Tommy. What's your thoughts on all the spread of the fixtures now? Yeah, I agree. I think that the more opportunity that you can provide to um, to get more eyes on, on more games is, is better. Right? I certainly, um, I certainly know of people who've who've done the the three o'clock games uh, for the men's MPL and then have um, have gone up to uh, watch a state league division two game. I know Dianella and and Kingsley Westside in particular have been hosting games at five o'clock and six o'clock on a Saturday so that people can come and watch after other state league games or MPL matches. Um, and obviously, as you've touched on before, we've got the women's games have been fairly well spread out over the course of season as well. I've enjoyed coming down and, and I've bumped into you a couple of times on Friday night down at um, the Wormwood Civil Stadium, Penny, and um, obviously Dorian Gardens is, is host games um, as well on a Sunday. So, we, so, and obviously a lot of the other games are on a Sunday as well, apologies. So, we've, so we've got a good balance and we've got a good spread, I think, more so in the women's competitions. It, it'd be interesting to see um, going forward, particularly tomorrow. I know it's going to be difficult maybe because of the weather, but if Inglewood and Perth can draw a good crowd on, on Sunday, um, given that standalone men's MPL fixture, that might um, uh, provide um, some added incentive, I suppose, to, to maybe do a few more of these standalone games in the men's competition. Yeah, the double headers have been quite good too. Like Perth Soccer Club have hosted a couple of double headers yeah. with the women's and the men's, which is always good for promoting the game yeah. both sides. And Perth are fantastic at promoting and having a great facility, yeah. having the food and drink available. Yeah, we're doing the same thing against uh, Cotton Uni, uh, and that's a Saturday, I think, third uh, of July with the State League men's and the yeah. women's NPL. Yeah. Good. And you try and get all the junior kids and junior yep. uh, junior girls up. Uh, uh, doing the ball, ball girl jobs yep. for the ladies in, in the under-23s teams. It's 
good. Yep. Trying to build the culture. Yes. Club culture, very important. Yeah, yeah, it is absolutely. Especially when you play across lots of different parks, you yeah. want to have a hub of football. Mm. The uh, girls. 14's team was training at the – I call it the Murdoch Stadium because I, I kind of think of it as it's a stadium. Yeah. Um, so we were training there last night and there was uh, – the two pitches on the synthetic and so on each half pitch there was a team training, boys' yeah. teams and then the girls. And it was actually pretty fantastic to hear everything that was going on. You can hear the coaches and talking to the team, the different activities that they're doing and then the girls were on their half pitch – and watching all this activity, and they don't often get that opportunity. So it was Very nice true. to go to what I'm calling a stadium when they usually train on grass at mm. Winthrop, which is away from all of that. Yeah, and the lights are not so good. The lights are a bit... Uh, the synthetic is pretty good. The synthetic is excellent, yep. yeah. And the moon was rising over the trees. <laughs> it was just all quite nice. Yeah. So moving into the NPLWA space, Tommy, is uh, round 11 this week. Which game are you going to be covering? Penny? Yes, I'm I'm on I'm on men's duty this way, but I'll be obviously watching most of the games tomorrow um, as, as part of my wrap. So I'm yeah. uh, I won't be out of the women's game unfortunately this week. And Penny, I've got, I'm on the men's duty for the commentary this weekend. But I believe Sean um, is, is doing one of the women's games tomorrow. I can't quite remember off the top of my head which one he'll be at. So yeah, um, yeah it's an, it's, a, it's an interesting round. Obviously, you've got that um, you've got that logjam of teams who are in the middle part of the of the table and. I believe third are playing fifth and, and fourth are playing sixth this weekend. And especially with the NTC and Perth game being postponed on Sunday last week at Ashfield, um, that's, that's given Fremantle City a bit of an initiative. And, and if they can go and get a result against Perth at Dorian Gardens um, tomorrow, that could shape up as a possibly massive three points for them as they look to consolidate their top four spot um, going forward. So um, it, it's always, it's always a, it's, it's good to see that we've got all four games this weekend having something on the line in all of them in terms of obviously you're looking at um, Murdoch University, Melville and, and the Northern Redbacks both still involved in that really tight title race and um, I'm sure you guys are aware of it but obviously Mama <laughs> are playing uh, the Redbacks in a couple of weeks as well so that's that's one to really get um, excited about in my opinion. Um, it's one that I've certainly marked down on my calendar as one, as I, as one I hope I've been uh, pulled out the, um, the commentary on, and regardless, I'll probably go and have a look anyway. But but also with Subiaco and Curtin at the bottom, they're both um, they've both shown signs of improvement again this season. They're both still looking for their um, first win of the season. It should be said we've got to give a bit of a shout out to Subiaco, who were so close to that first win on Thursday night, yeah. but uh, conceded a ninety-second minute equaliser um, against Curtin. And um, yeah, yeah, your heart goes out to them. It really does because. Again, without wanting to sound patronising in any way, their performances have deserved a lot more this season. They've been competitive in most of their games this season. So I yeah. think the future is looking bright, brighter for those two, that's for sure. Yeah, I think they've just had a change of coach just in this <coughs> last week too. And they've put a shout out for players. I'm pretty sure that was Curtin. Curtin have, yeah. So mm-hmm. the, the Curtin have um, appointed uh, Dom Ganjemi. As the new head coach there, he, he's um, replacing Morrison Dean, who I believe is still staying at the club, possibly in an assistance role. Um, but I've not had confirmation of that. That's just something I'm, I've heard sort of through the traps. Um, but Dom, Dom's um, from from what I, I've never met Dom or spoken to Dom, but from what I've, I've read, he's, he's a very experienced coach. He, he was a former technical director at, at Fremantle City as well, so he has got 
um, some knowledge of the women's game clearly, and um, and it'll be interesting to see um, what he can do in the back half of this season um, with a curtain side who, as you touched on before, are clearly looking to add new players. Yeah, so the, the fixtures for this weekend: a curtain are playing Northern Redbacks today. Uh, Perth Soccer Club are playing Fremantle, Balcatta and NTC, then Subiaco and Mum are all Sunday fixtures yep. live on the Facebook, the Football West Facebook page. You can catch all the streams or on the Football West YouTube um, and anytime you click on them uh, after the game, you can watch the game again, which is what I normally do. There's a lot of late nights watching football these days with yes. the Euros and all these live streams, Tommy. Yep, there is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Yeah, the last couple of days of, uh, of rest time, I suppose, if you want to put it that way, um, between the Euros has, uh, has been quite helpful because it's just allowed us to have that bit of a reset, I guess, going into the knockout game. Mm. Hey, Tommy, just one point. I've got down here that it's actually round 12 this weekend. For the men's? No, for the ladies. Am I correct there or wrong? Uh, I thought it was uh, round 11. Okay. It could, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not in front of me though. But it could be, yeah. I, I, it is around that mark, though. It is around the round. I think the men's are all around ahead. Um, I think, yeah. I think you may be correct there. I'm not sure. Well, you can I will check it though. Hop, hop onto <laughs> Football West and and have a look at that. Uh, we've. Uh, yeah. We're doing our job in getting the, the word out there that the games are happening and yep. where to find out about the fixtures, that's for yeah. sure. I, I think I think it I think it threw me out for a while as well, Penny, because obviously we had the COVID um the COVID round back in round four, round about Anzac Day. Um that round of games missed out. So we we were kind of all jumbled up in the in the rounds and the fixtures. Ah, yeah. And and last week's games in the men's league were round six games, round six catch up teams. So yeah. so that was certainly a bit of a weird thing to have to write down. Having gone through week 10, 11, 12, etc., in the weeks before. So mm. I think that's jumbled all of our um, our sort of concepts a little bit, but, but hopefully we're, we're sort of moving moving forward now and, and back on the right track. And, and um, there's, still, there's still places to, to fight for in the top four in the men's competition. There's obviously um, a relegation spot as well, um, and, and, and plenty going on in the women's competition, as we've just touched on as well. So it's all, all exciting leading into the cup football as well. I should say as well, Penny, there was one other result as well during the week in the Women's State Cup, and that was Fremantle City defeating the NCC by three goals to one. Um, goals from um, Annabelle Leake, Michaela Lyons, and uh, Izzy Bridger off the top of my head um, gave them a 3-1 win, and, and they're into the final four of the Women's State Cup. So obviously a place in the finals. They're now um, on the horizon for four teams left, all NPL sides as well. Yeah. Um, and I believe the semi-finals are Balcata versus Fremantle City and um, Murdoch University, Melville and the Northern Redbacks. Yeah. So a couple yep. of tasty-looking semi-finals there to look forward to with a place on, on Cup Final Day. Totally. Yeah. The top four in the league are playing each other in yeah. the semi-finals. So I think that's Wednesday, 7th of July for the Cup game. Oh, is it? Seven. Yeah. Okay. Se- 7th of July. No, seventeenth oh, of July. It's a Saturday. That's, talk, that's a cup final. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, yes. I'm getting confused. So many games. Damn yeah. it. Yes, you're right. <laughs> of course, you've got to have all the semi-finals before you can have the finals. <laughs> and the finals are on the July the seventeenth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Huh. And you're right. It is round twelve for the women. You're oh, spot on. Good yeah, on. yeah. 
There Excellent. You go. I did uh, a quick check. At least I've got some. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad someone's on top of it because I'm not. <laughs> Good job, Dave. Oh my God. Yeah, there's, you know what? Give it, say, five years ago, Tommy, and we talk about fixtures on a weekend, and there'd be games happening on one day, games happening on the next day, and that was it. Yeah. And you'd just go, okay, these are the fixtures on this day, these are the fixtures on this day. Yeah. Now, there's games midweek, catch up games, yeah. Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday nights. <coughs> it's, uh, it's, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I just uh, just make sure you can direct people to the right place so they can check on all the fixtures. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Tommy, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate it as always. Um, hope you enjoy yourself and keep out of the rain this weekend. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Good on you. See you, Tommy. Bye bye. Bye. That was Tommy Dolman, a local match reporter. You'll hear him and see him around the grounds as he does his match wraps and covering and travelling to and from games and um, commentating on yeah. the live stream. And these are very popular, right? especially with the the women's NPL. Yeah. It is yep. amazing m- yep, yep. amount of followers. I'm really enjoying the connection between the men's football and the women's football that the clubs are doing yeah. and um, that Football West are really promoting... Equally, it seems, on their social platforms yep. now, the men's and the women's football. It's great. We just talk about NPL and we go, which one was that, the men's or the women? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's good. It's very good. We are going to go to a break and come back and chat more football. And don't forget, you can go to footballwest.com.au and find out where all your fixtures are playing for this this week. Yeah, this week. I not really say this day because there's so many fixtures tonight, tomorrow, hmm. midweek, whatever. Whatever takes your fancy. And, uh, yeah, just make sure tomorrow when you're out and about, you, you do take a change of clothes or an umbrella or something hot to eat and, um, yeah, look after yourselves because there, there is a lot of football and yeah. to keep participating in that lot of football, you've got to look after yourself. And uh, say thank you to the referee as well. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. We are <laughs> going to come back and chat more football with Aaron from the Football Tragic Podcast. This is Penn and Dave. Stay tuned. The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Auswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Auswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at auswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au G'day. I'm Peter Skeeler, the man behind A-LeagueStats.com and part of the world football team for 2021. Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannehoth, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best and Junior Matildas goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. Catch the show on live stream or via our new website. Listen in later on the podcast or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Not too long to go now. We aren't just the people who mow your lawn. 
We aren't just the people who paint your houses. We aren't just office workers or taxi drivers or even the family next door. Underneath it all, we are fans. No matter when, no matter where, we'll be there. Time to let your inner fan out. No guts, no glory. We're back, Penn and Dave, in the studio, the World Football Program. Until midday, we are chatting with Aaron Trevathan from the Football Tragic Podcast. Good morning or good afternoon, Aaron. How's things over your way? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, just, uh, just in the Arvo now for me, so it's still morning for you, I imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. Still lots of football to be had over here. It started at about 8 o'clock, I reckon, was the earliest game of cup fixtures for all the kids happening. And I'm sure there's probably about 40 fixtures happening around the traps. And then they've got to do it all again tomorrow, Aaron. So they're going to be fit or stuff little things. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yay for the parents, that's for sure. The parents got to have a big pat on the back for all that travelling around and encouragement and enthusiasm. So good job, parents. Keep it up. And tomorrow is not going to be as nice a day weather-wise as it is today. It's beautiful and sunshining today, Aaron, and it's supposed to be an awful day tomorrow. So, uh, the complete opposite. Yep, we're getting it all. <laughs> and, and speaking of all, a lot of football happening right around the world at the moment with uh, leading to the Olympics, um, the Olaroos playing, Socceroos have, have had their friendly fixtures or their qualifying fixtures, and the Matildas... They're coming up to one more game. I think it'll be the maybe the last game against Japan on the 14th and then they lead into the uh, Olympics and, of course, the A-League game tomorrow, uh, final, and the Euros. Oh my God, where do we start, Aaron? What's, what's tickling your fancy as the most enticing football at the moment? Um, obviously, we've got the, the Euros going on and that's been an absolute um, beauty of a tournament so far. There's been some really great games. Uh, some good groups there. So it's been really enjoyable to watch. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Olympics myself. I, I've always been a massive Olympics fan. Uh, and yeah, football should be, should be good on that end. I, I must admit, I'm not too enticed to watch the Ollie Roos. I watched a couple of their fixtures and thought, yeah, I would maybe have liked to have seen some of our play, younger players in the Socceroos squad being tested a bit. Maybe um, Nick D'Agostino from Perth Glory. I know he's left now. Yep. I'm, I'm crying about that, but it would have been nice to see him uh, test his skills in the Socceroos squad. I yep. yep. uh, would have liked him to be playing for the Perth Glory in the end of our season rather than <laughs> not. But uh, same with other, other teams. I mean, Sydney have, have suffered with the loss of some of their players and they're in the final tomorrow against uh, Melbourne City. So, yeah. Are you going to watch the game? Where are you located? I'm in Sydney, so I'll be watching the game. Um, yeah, uh, but I won't just I won't be live, unfortunately. But yeah, I'll just be watching the game on the telly. Uh, don't really have a preference, honestly. I think I personally think that Sydney will be too strong for them. They've kind of I wouldn't say they've 
benefited, but they've kind of been a little bit blessed in the way that they didn't lose their most important players for the Socceroos camp. You know, they've still got their strike force who are scoring goals for fun. Whereas City, on the other hand, lost their main, you know, main striker, Jamie McLaren, their main centre half, and uh, even Conor McHalf in the midfield as well. So they kind of were hindered a little bit. So we'll see how we go. But uh, obviously, at Amy Parker, they're getting their home final. Uh, which they deserve. So if the home crowd can turn up for them, then you never know what will happen. Yes. Uh, what's the word on the crowd in terms of uh, the numbers that are allowed into the stadium? I be- I be- yeah, I believe it's 50% capacity. So I think about 16,000 or so should be able to turn out. Yeah. Yeah, we were just talking about um, the FFA Cup earlier and how we've got our two Perth teams, Joondalup and Floriot, that are now through to the round of 32. And mm-hmm. it'll be exciting for them to travel interstate to play their fixtures. But it's a uh, pretty nice place over here in Perth, Aaron. It's pretty safe. <laughs> Weather's good most of the time. Um, mm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with hubs and COVID and where the fixtures Yeah, definitely. Play. Definitely. I mean... We're kind of moving, um, I won't speak on COVID too much, but I mean, we're moving forward for a little while now. It feels like we're going a little bit backwards again. So, but obviously that's a bit out of our control. Football's kind of just kind of having to work with what the world is right now, which is unfortunate, but yeah. Yep. So what's your thoughts on the Ollie Roos? Have you watched any of their games? Yeah, so I watched the game against, I believe it was Ireland. Uh, I think it went down 2-1 or 3-2. Um, and they... They play some good football at times, but again, it's a squad that it's it's made up of players who barely ever play together. That's the problem. Like they're forming these squads that you know aren't you know they haven't played yeah, a lot of football together. So I, look, I don't think they're going to go too well at the uh, Olympics, but who knows? I mean, they could shock, they could turn a few heads, but it is a somewhat tough group as well. Um, what have they got? They've got the Oh, they've got who have they got in their group again? I think it's uh, can't remember exactly, but I know they do have a tough group. Um, but yeah, they've got a few games coming up. Um, was a sorry, no, they've already so they played their game. Sorry, but yeah, against uh, the game against Mexico, um, they looked good in spurts. But again, these teams like Mexico and whatnot, they're playing games like they've had their team built for quite a while. Whereas I think the Oliveros and again with the Matildas as well, they're having to build these squads that haven't played together before because of the hiatus that the um, Football Australia was under for a little while, you know, not playing games overseas and whatnot. So, yeah, again, a lot of these players have not played together, so it's hard for these players to form these connections uh, with each other. So Australia's in the group with Egypt, Spain and Argentina. Uh, yeah. Mm. yeah, that's right. Yeah, so a tough group because obviously Spain and Argentina, for example, you know, the they're the big boys, and then even Argentina, uh, uh, even Egypt, sorry, are uh, a lot further along, I think, footballing-wise than what Australia is currently. So it's interesting. My daughter, who's fourteen, was asking me why the Olympics cap the ages in the football group. So it's under twenty-three. So the team, when we say Socceroos, is the open age team. The Ollie Roos team for football is capped at twenty-three. So we've got our younger players, our aspiring players. In those, so you were saying that they're young and they're learning, and, and they absolutely are. And if we talk of the Socceroos, well, hopefully the best of the best players are in the Socceroos, and they're going through our qualifiers for the World Cup. 
Um, so that's yeah. a couple of years away at the moment. And then the Matildas are competing in the Olympics and there's no age cap. So my daughter was saying, Yeah, Why? but obviously I don't know. Yeah, the ruling is obviously the under-23s. I think you can have, I think it might be four players over age or maybe two players in the under-23s over age. I know uh, the, the New Zealand team, they've named quite a strong lineup. They've got obviously they quite a few good youngsters coming through, a few of them playing in the A-League. Then they've also named... Chris Wood, who plays Burnley uh, in their squad as an overage, and then Winston Reid as well in their squad. So they've named quite a strong squad. I don't think uh, Ollie Roos have named their squad just yet for the Olympics. Obviously, the Matildas um, have their squad. But, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. It's hard to pick with these strong groups that we're going into. And uh, with the Matildas, I do think in recent times they're going a little bit backwards, uh, I think. Alan Stadjic obviously had this team ready to perform and ready to take on the world in a way. Uh, and ever since kind of his sacking, I think that they've struggled a little bit. He's also now left the Central Coast Mariners. After yes, they... he has. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, by the way, I just did a little bit of research. The Olympic soccer has a... See, they said Olympic soccer. They said soccer, not football. Olympic soccer <coughs> has an age limit to ensure the FIFA World Cup retains its number one position in world soccer and doesn't uh, yeah. have to compete yeah. for attention with the Olympics. I think there must be a little bit of money exchanging hands with this one. Like, you know, FIFA would say something like, well, because the Olympic Committee is different to the FIFA Committee, yeah. um, I think FIFA would say, well, how about we come to some kind of broadcasting arrangement or some kind of financial arrangement where you cap the age here and then we'll have this as a, an open age competition and it, it'll be every two years, I think it's offset, so then we'll make sure that the broadcasting of the World Cup, some of that money comes to you guys, so it keeps you happy to have it capped. I'm sure they'd do some kind of wheel and a deal like that. Otherwise, why wouldn't the Olympics go, well, we'll have it as an open age. Yeah. So, anyway. What do you think about the Matildas, Aaron? So, they, they haven't won any of their games in the lead-up to the Olympic tournament. They have an open age team. So they've got their very best players, potentially, available in the squad. The final 18 is going to be picked, I think, next week. Um, and that'll be before the Japan game, actually. So mm. we're playing Japan on the 14th. That'll be our last yeah. prep game for the Olympics. Um, what's your thoughts on how the Matildas are going to go? Well, I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to be optimistic and say they're going to go, they're going to go well, but they had, what, they had a full... Over a full year off between fixtures, uh, where they're playing the Asian teams, and they go into a, a Germany game where they get picked apart, Netherlands picked apart, uh, go down to Denmark, and the Nimor with Sweden. So they didn't, they haven't had the best uh, pre-tournament fixtures. Really, they've kind of been uh, getting smashed all over the park in a way. Uh, so it's not doing a world comp- good for the confidence, but they're going into a, quite a tough group. Uh, with New Zealand, Sweden and USA obviously being the best team in the world. So I don't know how they're going to get on exactly. I'd love, as I said, I'd love to be optimistic, but I think they might struggle with Sweden and USA. Uh, I think they'll get past the football ferns just. Uh, and if they open their account in that game strong, then who knows, they might have a momentum to go through. But I just think that, um, yeah, as I said earlier, I think Stadge had this team as really up there for that in terms of world beaters, you know, they were 
they, they were on their road to being, you know, top three in the world. They are since then. They've kind of gone a bit backwards and fallen down the rankings a bit. Maybe lost a bit of the confidence. But yeah, again, I don't, I don't know. They've had a lot of the players now are playing overseas, which is good to see. Obviously, you got Sam Kerr and things like that, and playing for Chelsea, and a lot of the other players playing overseas, which is really good for the development of them and the Matildas, kind of getting the name out there. But, yeah, it's definitely a tough draw. Did you know what? I think it's really unfair to say that since Alan Stagic has left the position, that that is the reason that the Matildas haven't done so well. And there's two reasons that I think that that's um, unfair is because we've had a COVID period and that has affected world football. So it's it's definitely affected the Matildas um in terms of their ability to get together and the other thing is yeah the australian players like i don't know over 50 percent of them that have gone and started to play professional football outside of australia yeah so they've then gone to all different places in the world a lot of them have gone to the uh wsl in england so they're no longer here so to get them together has started to become more challenging. Mm. And we talked to Tom Simoni, yep. the Football Ferns coach, before he, he left and and started their process of getting the Ferns together. And he hadn't seen any of them together in, I don't know, it was 18 months or something like that. Yep. So it, when they were going to get together was when they have their camp prior to the Olympics and they start playing their games. That would be the first time that they would get together, like the Matildas. So I suspect that they've got just as much of a tough time getting their players to get everything right under Tom as what our Matildas coach has had mm. post uh, Alan Stagic. So uh, I think it's been very difficult, Aaron, for any coach to step in to this period, the yeah, last 18 no, period. Sure. Mm. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't exactly blaming on the current coach. I just think that Stagic had this team at a really good position. And obviously with Kobe hitting, it's been unfortunate that uh, they haven't been able to play together for, as I said, I think it was about a year or so they've gone without playing. Uh, whereas these other countries, you know, the European countries, they play multiple times a year. They've got their teams picked, you know, months and months in advance. So it's really, it is unfortunate that COVID kind of hit and kind of did put us in a bit of a backwards spiral because all these girls were going over to overseas and then not being able to come back and play these friendlies that they, they play. And so it's unfortunate and yeah, um, as I said, we were looking really good. We we're looking good for a good uh, tournament and uh, good uh, squad that we're forming. So hopefully they can, you know, they can get a bit of confidence back uh, pre-tournament. And if they, you know, they're obviously going into camp, they, you know, things can change. They can look positive, and then we can have a really good tournament. Yep, uh, watch this space is all I can say about that. Um, so <laughs> leading into the Olympics and the World Cup. Um, one of the things that I'm hoping to be involved with is getting watch parties involved. So in each state, um, groups of supporters will be um, trying to get venues where Matilda's uh, supporters can go, like um, it's kind of similar to the Shed groups before the Glory Games. They go down to the local pub venue and they all have a drink um, socialise together and then go to the game together. So kind of trying to get watch parties for the Matildas. So watch that space for that one. I think that's quite exciting uh, in trying to connect all the fans and supporters for the Matildas. Now, uh, Aaron, just moving across, the Dolan Warren Awards occurred this week and yep. a whole stack of awards. Are you across that? I am, yeah. Good good lad. Um, 
and unfortunately we only had one Perth Glory name I think pop up in in all of the awards there and that was Andy Keogh with the gold yeah of with the, the gold of the year what a goal that was that yep. was unbelievable yep <laughs> yep absolutely and tell us about some of the other awards that are notable that we should recognise yeah look so there's an, obviously there's a number of awards uh, it's good that the female awards are being as recognised uh, as the men we yep. had Michelle Heyman wrapping up the Julie Doran which was unbelievable with her comeback season yes uh, what a season that was and that's just impressive to see on all fronts um, and a really a good feel good story if you think of it that way yep um, and then there was a few controversial ones I'd say the A-League Goalkeeper of the Year was a uh, joint award with Vera Gideon uh, Redmayne I personally don't think Redmayne was even close to that uh, he didn't have the best campaign I think there was about five or six good keepers that probably could have had it ahead of him but you can't complain with Vera Gideon he was really good this year and he helped the Mariners to where they finished yep um, and then you got the two golden boots Jamie McLaren wrapping it up in comfortable form and then Emily Gilnick as well hang on you missed something Aaron Aaron, you totally missed something with goalkeeper of the year the women's goalkeeper of the year oh yeah of course oh, I wasn't forgetting about <laughs> it I was just uh, going off in the team uh, yeah Tegan, uh, Mika what a that was a good a solid campaign for her obviously City struggled um, this year but she had a she had a top campaign in, in net for sure, which resulted uh, few, in her selection in the Matildas, and I think yeah. it was the Sweden game where she stepped in, and I thought she was strong and confident. I thought she could give Lydia Williams a run for her money. Oh, for sure, okay. and that yeah, it's exactly right. And then obviously you've got um, Jada Wyman from Sydney FC. So like they've got there's a lot of good strong keepers at the. Uh, Aussies have got going around, so there's definitely spots up for grabs. And yeah, as you said, she can definitely trouble Lydia Williams um, in net. So who knows? She might, she definitely might uh, have a push for a, uh, what are they called? Uh, Number one spot. spot for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, as I said, there's the two golden boots were one by two fantastic players. Emily Gilnick obviously secured a move, I think it was to Sweden or something, I believe. Yep. Um, before the finals, so. Yeah, and then you've got the two young football of the year. So Kyra Cooney Cross, that was a brilliant campaign from her. She's really pushed onto the scene and kind of yeah put her name in the spotlight, which is really good to see. She's Melbourne Victory, a fantastic footballer. Yep. Yes, and then uh, Joel King from Sydney FC for the men's again a, a great campaign, uh, killing the void of uh, Mokuzulo who was out injured. So yeah, another two great. Uh, winners there, and then if we go through until the uh, the Johnny Warren Award, it was the, the first time ever it was a joint winners. We had Ninkovic and Yuli Davila. I think Ninkovic. I don't know exactly how he's won that because he was injured for quite a fair bit of the campaign. <laughs> but um, but when he was on, he was really on. I remember one game. I can't remember who it was. Where I think they were down two nil. I think they rescued a two or draw with. And he was only on for about 15 minutes, and he just was instrumental in that. And again, with Yuli de Villa, he was unbelievable for the Phoenix this year, as yep. usual. Yeah. It just seems like he's getting better every every uh, every year. Um, but yeah, as a, as a whole, there was one, but you know, pretty fairly one. You couldn't really have any complaints with, uh, especially the coach of the year, Patrick Isnorbo for City. He did a fantastic job, and then Jeff Hopkins for victory. Yep, doing a great job on their end. So yeah, as a whole, the awards were. 
pretty fair, I would say. Let's not um, forget, really too, there was another award for Melbourne Victory, which was goal of the year, Lisa Devana, a Perth player. Oh, yeah, the, sol- the solo run, I yep. believe. Yep. Coming back the time there, for sure. Do you feel that she could be a little bit aggrieved at not being named in the Matilda squad? It's a hard one because there is plenty of those midfield spots up for grabs, you know, the wingers as well, because she's obviously, yeah, getting a little bit older. Um, but, yeah, she could definitely, like, she definitely staked her claim. Like, she had a good back end of the campaign, so... She did. Yeah, I think she might feel a bit hard done why she doesn't get picked. Mm. So uh, let's talk about the Euros. I think that we should cover yep. some games there. It's been a very exciting tournament like... Uh, you mentioned I, I've certainly had a lot of late nights and Dave's been following Scotland. Um, unfortunately, Scotland are no longer in the campaign. Yes, unfortunately, just. Yep. They did have a, they had a good couple games there. Yep. Yep, they did. Uh, and so now we're up to the round of 16, um, and I'm not sure with the times if that means tonight or tomorrow, I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, Wales, Wales and Denmark and Italy and uh, Austria are playing in, in the first round or first couple of fixtures, then Netherlands and uh, Czechoslovakia, Belgium and Portugal. Or that, to me, the Belgium and Portugal game, um, looking forward to that one. Yeah. Style yeah, and class and skill. Yeah. But Italy are looking good as well. Yep. And the Spanish have come on for 5-0 win in the last game there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Croatia playing Spain and France and Switzerland uh, England and Germany, another one. Okay, that's that's another one of my m- matches of the round. And uh, is it Sweden and Ukraine will be the last fixture in the round of 16. What's taken your fancy, Aaron? Uh, definitely that Belgium-Portugal game. I think that'll be an absolute cracker. And I think I do think it'll live up to the hype that it has going into it. Obviously, Ronaldo, top goal scorer currently, five goals yep. in the group of death as well, keep in mind. So he's done well. And then you've got a Belgium team who consists of De Bruyne, you know, Lukaku, both Hazard, you know, they've got they've got firepower for days. So that'll be an unbelievable game, I believe. Uh, Austria, I think, will have a tough tough game in Italy. Italy, I think they've gone 20 games, I think, without, uh, 11 games with clean sheets. I think they're on a 30-game winning streak, something crazy. Um, they've just, yeah, I think, like, everybody kind of forgot about them going into the tournament, didn't really give them a shot, but Mancini's uh, got that team playing you know, playing all for each other and, yeah, I think they're definitely, I don't know if you can call them a dark horse because they're not, you know, they've, they've won World Cups before, you know, they're not, they're still a big name, but I think they're just kind of flying under the radar a bit. So who knows, they could they could go far. Um, you've got the Wales-Denmark game. It's a tough one because the feel-good story, you know, you kind of want Denmark to do well for Eric, for Christian Eriksen. But then also Wales, uh, they had a good uh, past year, I think they made it to the semi-finals where they went out to Portugal. So, you know, they could be in for a similar campaign if they if they keep playing well. What do you think about uh, Gareth Bale, who's back in England playing his football in the last season? What do you think about him? It's good to see. Um, I think he had a good end to the EPL campaign for sure, and he always he seems to play his best football for Wales. So, yeah, it's good, it's good to see him um, back playing to what you'd probably say is, you know his best form because he was kind of you know the forgotten boy around for a little while. So I'm really pleased to see him. I've always liked him. Uh, I think he's fantastic football. So it's good to see him going well. And he might just be the difference in a game like this. Uh, you know, he might pop up with a free kick or anything. So, yeah, I think um, they, they could be in for a good a good tournament if they get past Denmark. 
Yep, and uh, just for the listeners out there, by the way, um, the teams that finished top of their groups were Italy, Netherlands, uh, Belgium, France, England, and Sweden. I think that covers everyone. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yep, there you go. So the top teams went through, then the second, was it second place teams, and then the best of the third and fourth? Oh, gosh, I'm not, I can't. Yeah, the, I think best it was the fourth the, best, yeah. the, the four best third place teams Third-listed. went through. Yep. Yep. So um, more late nights to come with all the time differences yeah, and it is, whatever. It is late nights. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you've also you've what did f- I miss? forgotten something. What did uh, I miss? Copa America. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Um, World Cup qualifying tournament, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go on. Speak to it, oh, Dave. Well, Argentina, Brazil. <laughs> you know, yeah, the whole whole host of quality teams playing and, football. And so the question is, is Messi playing as good for his country as he does for his club? Um, pass. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's the rest of the team? Reasonable football, yeah. Mm. yeah. I've, you... o- I've only been watching the mini, mini games. Yeah, you know? just the highlights packages Not kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. So. Have you been watching any of the, um, Amer- the South American games, Aaron? Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I've been watching, I've watched all... Brazil's three games and they look they look really strong uh, on all fronts, defensively, offensively. They look really good. Argentina, I think at times their defense does let them down. I think Messi, obviously as good as he is, he he's not playing with the players. He's playing with the club level. He's got to he kind of has to put them on his back a little bit. And yeah. at times, yeah, it's, it's cost him. Obviously, they've been in a World Cup final. He's lost days, but they've had two Copa Americas where he's fallen at the final hurdle as well. So, I think this is the one. This is the one where he needs to. You know, obviously, he needs his team to play for him as well, and really get him that long-awaited international trophy. But I think Brazil is probably the one to beat for that Copa America for sure. Yes, um, it's always disappointed me that Messi is a fantastic footballer. I love watching him play at uh, club level, but it's disappointed me when I've seen him make that step up into the international stage because I don't feel that. I mean, he's a very unique creative player and he, he does stand out in in the team and the Argentinian team doesn't have a consistent quality across the team that is kind of helping him well they don't service service him to get the goals I mean let's face it you've got to put the ball through to the attack so that you can get the, the goals if the defense aren't doing the job and so forth and when he plays for Barcelona yep. he's got everything mm. yeah so um, just uh, before we log you off, what's, what's your tip of the final for the Euros, Aaron? Who are your two teams that are going to end up playing and going to excite us all? Well, I can't remember exactly how it will work in terms of who will play who going through, but I'll, I will say that I do think France are going to be too strong. Um, I think they'll win it. They've, they obviously won the World Cup and they just seem to be getting better. I think across the park, they're just too balanced. Uh, with Benzema now back in, I didn't yeah, personally. Yeah, yeah, I didn't personally pick Benzema to have a good tournament, but he's already proved me yep. wrong in a way. So I yeah. think if he continues on his form, then yeah, I think they'll be too strong. I think they'll come for the win. And and I'm going to pick a France and Belgium final because I reckon they're both looking good. Yeah, we need to look. Yeah, for sure, that would be that would be a very entertaining final for sure. Yes, it would. Yeah. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time and having a banter about football with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. That's all right. Enjoy your football, whatever it may be. Finals games tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, 
Thank you. Good one. See you, Aaron. Bye, Aaron. See you. Bye. That was Aaron Trevathan, the Football Tragic podcast host. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate being here. Yeah, nice and relaxed, having a good chat with all of our guests about football. Next up is Len and Bags Groove with the Jazz Show. Enjoy the football. Get as much as you can in today if you're out and about with the sunshine. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, more football. Footballwest.com.au. Euros. All Uh, kinds of football happening. Mom FC versus Molly this afternoon up at the synthetics. That's the one. Load it in there. (laughs) See you, everyone. Enjoy the weekend. Bye.